0: Hi, welcome to Miko Peek. My name is Annabelle. My name is V, and welcome to our second episode.
1: Okay, so today we're going to talk about one of my favorite things, and I know it's one of your favorite things too. It's food. Mm Woo! Woo! This topic is actually pretty relevant because recently my dad shared some food with me that somebody else had given him uh, for this little holiday Vietnamese holiday that I totally forgotten about and um, we used to celebrate a lot more of these more obscure holidays um, because actually my mom was very good at remembering dates and my dad is not so since her passing we've actually just sort of let a lot of things things like this go Um, but somebody had given him food and the holiday that he mentioned was called Tết Đoan Ngọ, and that's sort of like the Vietnamese summer solstice holiday. And apparently, I didn't realize this. It's not only the summer solstice, but um, it's also marking the death uh, of Oka, who is considered in Vietnamese mythology as the mother of all the Vietnamese people. So, a little bit of background: uh, Oka and Lac Long Quan is um, Lac Long is her husband, and he's the dragon king, and he lives in the sea. And Oka is uh, the fairy uh, goddess, I guess. And she lives in the mountains. So the Vietnamese creation myth is about their marriage and also their separation. Um, And they had 100 children. 50 went with their mother to live in the mountain. And 50 went to live with their father in the sea. We'll go into that at a later episode when we address uh, myths and fairy tales. But anyways, that's the background of this uh, holiday. I think it's interesting that like, A lot of our holidays are celebrated um are focused around food right so the thing that my dad got from his friend is one of these leaf wrapped sticky rice cakes i guess Mm -hmm. yeah it's like it's a type of there's so many of them right so what what is like one of your favorite
0: well it's so funny growing up i actually didn't like any of those banana wrapped uh i think they're like gifts they're pretty much like gifts, you know they're wrapped so beautifully and with so much care I didn't like them that much, but as I got older, um, when I first moved away um, from California, I was introduced to Baniyaw, Um I think like the northern pronunciation, of course, is all, but mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of a good gelatinous, it's still rice, but it's more like gelatinous, I would say, than glutinous, it's not like, mm-hmm. it's just like pretty smooth texture, mm-hmm. and it has ground pork and mushroom, and I don't know, I, I think it's just because I tend to like more savory things, um, but it just tastes like home to me for some reason. It kind of just reminds me of like a wrapped dumpling. What's
1: mm-hmm. your favorite? That is also one of my favorites, banhyao. When I was a kid, I would remember on the days that I stayed home, like weekends or holidays, my parents would usually buy that for me as breakfast from like mm-hmm. banh ban mi Yeah. We all, we all know what that is. If you yeah. grew up in California, <laughs> banh mi Kelly is like our, our McDonald's. that's a good way to think about it it's lit yeah no so my parents would buy that for me and just leave it for me as breakfast and I'd wake up and like half that for breakfast and even when I was a grown-up my my parents would send that with me back to school or back to where wherever I was living anytime that would visit them they'd give me like yeah that's um I like it when they have the little quail eggs oh yeah that's That's like the premium that's like the premium right because if they don't have the quail egg they use like um chicken eggs or duck eggs Mm -hmm. but the premium ones have coil eggs because it's like (laughs) that's how you know it's legit
0: (laughs) wow my mouth is watering as you're just talking about that actually I totally want a bun y'all right now it's so good it's so bomb I mean actually I think what's so unique about the different types of bun I guess how would we translate bun in English would we just say it's like a like I don't know. It's just somewhere to describe it in English is challenging for me because yeah,
1: bun is used to describe everything from cakes, like bread, to, to bread, yeah, and to these rice dumplings. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just anything that's kind of a lump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like it's not even about the packaging that
0: it's no. in, you know wrapped in banana leaves. But I will say what I think stands out to me most about these bun when I think about it, whether it's bun it, which is. Um, I think it's also rice, right? Uh, well, it's always in um, b- wrapped in banana leaves. It has rice in some type of filling. So sometimes it's sweet. Sometimes it's savory. But I think it's always like it's a full meal. Like it's a nutritious meal. Like Annabelle was just talking about earlier. You have your premium luxury quail <laughs> eggs. You have your ground pork. You have the mushroom. And then you also have uh, the rice mixture. And I think, uh, I don't know. To me, that's what's really unique about Vietnamese cuisine sometimes, is that it really is a full-fledged meal in, you know,
1: one beautifully wrapped package. The way that we treat food is also different. Everything is interconnected, right? Not to sound pretentious, but so like banyan, it's a lump of gelatinous rice, but with all of these different fillings inside, making up one unit of food. Pho is another good example. Everybody knows pho. So it has the rice in it, it has the meat, it has the veggies, and it has the soup the broth. It just feels very like complete.
0: I agree. I think that's a really beautiful way to think about it because, you know, when it comes to food, not only with Vietnamese culture, but a lot of other cultures, food is really central to identifying and also encapsulating heritage, culture, all those things. And so I think that's a really great way to identify Vietnamese cuisine actually is typically complete and probably because it's at the center of so many uh, families and it's really again central to bringing people together.
1: What a lot of people don't understand is that food is also an indicator of occasion. So for a food like pho that is everything is served in a bowl a lot of the times it's sold on street food stands. You're supposed to just be able to eat it and then go to work and then when you come to think about the meals that more traditional meals. They're literally, if you go into any Vietnamese restaurant, they're called gum yadin. So that's translated to family meal. So that's the occasion where you are supposed to sit down, each of you have your own rice bowl, but you all share a dish, like gekha and gan, or soup, or gai lu. Right? Yeah, which
0: which is like a, a boiled vegetable.
1: hmm And and the way that it's not seasoned, it's meant to be eaten with a lot of saltier food like gecko and tetco. Yep. So the significance of that, I don't think these people understand why certain things are served in the, in the presentation of the, these dishes is also a little bit different. So there's, there's a family connection there as well. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, if you really think about it, just to your point, and I think just it's a beautiful point, is plating matters. It's not plating in the same sense of American culture where, you know, you get kind of like, I don't know, you get like a small bite of something and you, that's considered. A, that annoys me a so course, much. Yeah, where you're super hungry afterwards. It's like a yeah. five course meal and it's like a bite, everything, you know? That's, that's so like upsetting for me. $200. Yeah, same, same. But I think it's, uh, just to your point earlier, I think that is really meaningful because, on the contrary, when you think about pho in American culture, people see it as a sit down meal. Whereas in Vietnam, it is something that you eat on the go, you can have it on the side of the street, you eat and you dip. And I think something really powerful about your point earlier when you talked about gum yadin or family meal is that everything is plated differently. So it can be shared together, there are different dipping sauces, it's really meant to be eaten with thought and care. And to, honestly, to savor time with family and people that you care about. It's really about sharing the meal. And that brings us to why food is so important to be in these cultures, because even though it's seen as a form of sub- sustenance, you know, things on the go, if you're working hard, you just got to eat and dip, it's also super meaningful for when it's plated separately and you're really able to enjoy every single ingredient. To Annabelle's point earlier, something as simple as gai lul, well, can be just its like a green leafy vegetable, I guess, is something that is meant to have different flavors and be enhanced by different sauces and enjoyed with your family.
1: The way that Vietnamese food is eaten, and I think a lot of other Asian dishes, you have a giant bowl of food that you're all supposed to use your chopsticks and just grab food out of. You have to be very comfortable with these people to be able to eat like that, right? It says to your point about being connected, it's not just the dishes connected with each other, it's the people connected with each other.
0: But when you talked about pho earlier, it was making me think about something we've always wanted to talk about, which is what does pho mean to you? You know, like if you actually think about the word pho, it refers to ban pho, which is just the noodle itself, the rice noodle. But I think a lot of the times in American culture nowadays, pho can be a lot of different things. It can be the traditional beef noodle broth soup. It can be, well, there's also fa, uh, yeah, which is something which Annabelle and I both love and have shared um, many of meals over. And there's also vegetarian pho, which I will be quite frank. I don't know how I feel about, even though I deeply respect vegetarians and vegans. I don't know how I feel about vegetarian pho. What do you think, Annabelle?
1: Oh, we've talked about this before. I'm, I'm also in the same boat. I am a meat eater who is very respectful of vegetarians. But something about the way that traditional pho is made When it is made with broth that is cooked overnight from bone, there's just so much technique and care that's put into it. Now, given not everybody gets that luxury nowadays, my dad makes it from canned broth. So I think in that sense, like, a little bit of bastardization is okay. But I think what concerns me more about, like, we're, we're sort of bringing up the point of cultural appropriation, right? And that got me thinking. Actually, I looked up an article. If you remember maybe a few years ago, Bon Appetit, the food publication that everybody loves. I do too. I love their videos. They had featured a white chef talking about eating pho and he made some sort of exaggerated comment about how this is the definitive way to eat pho. That video, by the way, has since been taken off the internet because people were so angry about it. And the articles actually prompted Bon Appetit to update it with an apology because it set the Vietnamese-American community on fire. I had never seen so many worked up Vietnamese people on social media. Another instance where Vietnamese people got, also got very upset was that photo of the deconstructed bun mi. I don't know if you remember it, but I think you do. Yeah, I think yeah. most Vietnamese, young Vietnamese people remember that photo. It was Mun mi, and as we all know, Mun mi is sandwich they had taken the baguette part out of it and they just put all of the ingredients into a bowl. And that was very upsetting for us. So I think it's interesting that the only time that we have seen Vietnamese Americans so angry and so willing to call out whiteness was in relation to food, right? That's a really good point.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think it's because it's something unique about Vietnamese culture is that's, aside from just it being central to who we are and how we grew up, a lot of Vietnamese culture is about division, even to your point earlier about the creation myth. It's even it's about marriage, but then it's also about divorce and separation. And it's the same thing even with the Vietnam War, which, you know, we're going to be going into at a later episode. Um, but I think this is definitely something that most Vietnamese Americans can agree upon is like, what is pho actually? How can you eat it? Same thing with banh mi. And I, you know, just Thinking about what you said earlier, I don't think, uh, this is just my opinion, I don't think there's anything wrong with deconstructing it, but if you are not a part of the community and you're trying to give an explanation of why something is the way it is or how to eat something, you know, to provide instructions, that's where I think it doesn't sit well with a lot of people because Even with that uh, Bon Appetit article about how to eat pho, there really is no right way, I would say. And I think that's probably what upset folks the most is what's unique about pho is that it can be made a lot of different ways. Yes, there's a foundational broth to it. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, it's really about customization and eating it how you see fit. I would say everyone in my family actually eats pho, uh, probably a different way anyway. So, yeah, I think so much about cultural appropriation is relevant to this topic because, a lot of the times, white people are trying to claim cuisine that, is really, that really belongs to a certain culture or people
1: as their own. And let me take a specific quote from this apology by Bon Appetit, because I think it addresses your point perfectly. Quote, moreover, we misrepresented the chef in parentheses who is not Vietnamese by putting him out there as a pho authority, something he never claimed to be. Instead, he's someone who was kind enough to give us a day of his time so we could film a video in his small, independently-owned restaurant, opening himself up to an avalanche of criticism. He is not the one to blame. That's on us for not doing our diligence as writers, editors, and video producers. That's important, because I think a lot of people ended up being very angry at this chef, and he caught a lot of flack for it, which. You know, I understand he's the face on the on the video, but as a platform, these Mon Appetit's editors decided to feature a non-Vietnamese chef. The title of their video was also very pompous. It's a you know PSA. This is how you should be eating pho. That's on them. I'm now that they brought that point up. I'm actually realizing how much of that anger was misdirected at him, because I don't think at any point. Should, you have to, should we as viewers have taken him as the authority on pho? But the fact is that he was prominently featured on a respected publication. It had this aura of legitimacy, right? So at the end of the day, I think it's always about representation. I think that quote actually goes back to a lot of what our rage is actually about. I think whenever the topic of conversation is brought up, people are always defending cultural appropriation with like, whoa, this one person likes your culture and they decided to make something from your culture as a a token of appreciation. Like he likes pho, so he decided to make pho in his restaurant. We're not so much angry about that. We're angry about the fact that these non-Vietnamese people, or just insert any ethnic minority here, the fact that our, our art for a long time had been degraded for the sake of assimilation now, all of a sudden, everybody is columbusing us. Everybody who's not Vietnamese is now discovering pho, discovering bong bò hui. And that is very upsetting. If you're a Vietnamese-American child who's brought something a little bit different to school for lunch, and you got made fun of for the smell or the way it looked, and now all of a sudden, people are making tons of money off of your own culture. That's upsetting. You know, this one chef who made some off-the-cuff comment, I can forgive him. But it's harder for me to forgive a culture that continues to sideline Vietnamese voices when it comes to discussing Vietnamese food Mm -hmm. and just Vietnamese issues in general. So, yeah, I
0: definitely agree, Annabelle. I think I have thought about this a lot in terms of what that means to me as a young person growing up and bringing something that was super smelly. I mean, one of my favorite things to eat always involved fish sauce. Like, honestly, I'm the type of person that could just eat rice and fish sauce together. I love savory things, as you know. And I always felt super ashamed. You know, fish sauce is smelly. It's not like, I don't know that, but I still love it regardless. And to have felt ashamed of who I was and what my culture was growing up to now feeling like it's being popularized because it's the next best thing, uh, does really suck to be quite frank. And it just reminds me of how we were colonized to our last episode in the past, not only by the French, and then also later on in certain ways by Americans, but even now as we're living in the United States and there are so many different cultures, different ethnic groups, we're still being colonized or there's almost like a cuisine gentrification, if you will, in certain ways. And I don't have any qualms about people making things their own, but when they forget about where it originated or what its purpose was or its significance, That's where it bothers me. And so to your point about the Bon Appetit article, I appreciate that, you know, they gave that disclaimer and they share that they misrepresented themselves as well as the chef. But I think that still happens a lot nowadays, just even in our basic conversations with our friends and coworkers and things like that.
1: So um, my parents used to work in this area that was pretty pretty non-Vietnamese. I don't know what the actual demographics are, but there definitely was not a lot of Vietnamese people outside of the workers that would come in to do work. Um, and so the fr- apparently the first pho shop in that immediate area opened while they were working there, and they all went. Them and their coworkers, who were all Vietnamese, would go there to get. And the first time that they went, they were very upset because the place had run out of um, ngogai and basil, or they didn't have it at all. You know, so basil is la wei and ngogai are the two essential herbs that you need to have as a pho restaurant. And they didn't have one of those. So they brought out lettuce. Yeah, they brought out oh, no. lettuce. So the reaction across the board for these Vietnamese workers were very much the same thing that just happened to us. They were literally upset.
0: Annabelle and I are face palming ourselves <laughs> literally right now, <laughs> like, staring at
1: each other. Like I just, I just told you that, and your eyes went wide, and so you know. I don't even know if offensive is the right word. I mean, it's just upsetting that like yeah. they brought out lettuce for their pho. But it also shows an underappreciation appreciation or understanding
0: of what significance those herbs have for Vietnamese cuisine like it it has to be very specific for pho and again it's our point of you know not that pho cannot be vegetarian there are a lot of vegetarians actually in Vietnam but to say that pho itself is just a noodle soup and it's vegetarian is actually culturally just not correct pho is known for being a beef noodle soup and just by nature of history and also cultural relevance it is not vegetarian and so I think it's just important to ensure that that history and that context is not lost uh, as things are transforming and evolving as it should, just because Vietnamese folks are in the United States now. But that doesn't mean that, again, these really important aspects of the cuisine should be lost along the way.
1: Another way to address food in in Vietnam, and I think in a lot of other cultures, if you think about soul food in America, right, it is also a class indicator as well. A lot of our dishes that are considered a little bit weird, like let's say ovals, are eaten because people didn't have any other option. And they made the best of what they have. These throwaway parts. But we utilize every part of the animal because as a country that's been historically ravaged by war again and again. We have been colonized by so many countries, starting with China. It's a country that is defined by how many wars and how many invasions it's had. People are just trying to make the best of what they have. So a lot of our specialty dishes are made from throwaway parts. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, those items that you,
0: you know, innards that you just mentioned are really important aspects of Vietnamese cuisine for a reason. I think they demonstrate the resilience of the Vietnamese people, despite having experienced a lot of trauma. And honestly, again, to Annabelle's point of just experiencing so much war, to be able to make the most of everything demonstrates resilience and an ability to recover, despite not having much. Ultimately, Annabelle and I want to express that we're super proud of being Vietnamese American for this reason, because it demonstrates A lot of our lineage, our heritage, our culture, the shoulders of giants that we and future
1: generations will stand on. One thing that I've noticed is really funny is Vietnamese uh, food is sometimes categorized as soul food on Yelp. So I think soul food is such an interesting category. What does that mean? Like what exactly does Vietnamese food have in common with soul food of Black Americans? I think it's just referring to a type of food that is comforting. It reminds you of home. Um, but it's not considered "quote unquote" classy. Yeah,
0: and I, I also think soul food is categorized as something that is super simple. It's not complex. It's never seen as Michelin star cuisine, you know. And that's a loss. I think some of the best food that I've had is soul food. I think it's even more meaningful when you're able to engage with a a heritage, a country, a culture through its cuisine, and to also reflect on all the history that that country or that community has been through actually.
1: And another thing that I thought was interesting, and I don't know enough about the history of this to to say definitively how it came to be, but okra, right? Okra is a huge dish in Vietnamese food that's prepared in many, many different ways. Okra came from uh, Africa. So how did that happen? I want to, I would like to know, I haven't been able to find a lot of resources on this, but isn't that interesting um, that we have okra in common? Yeah, that's so true. So it's interesting that our conversation brought us to the things that we have in common with other culture when it comes to food, because I think that's where the idea that food is a great unifier comes from. Uh, whether you have something in common with another culture or whether you are offering it up for other people to enjoy. I think that explains why food means so much to us as a people, as a diaspora, because we have been disconnected from a culture that most of us will never have direct access to. And we've discussed this in the last episode. Even when you visit Vietnam, you are still an other. You're still an outsider as an American, right? So, Food is the only one of the only things that we have left that can tie us to our roots, that can connect us to our parents and our grandparents. There is so much historical
0: relevance connected to food. And honestly, you know, as more generations continue to grow and develop in the United States, it's unfortunate, but it's also what would naturally happen is there's going to be more of a loss of language. There's going to be less of a lingua franca, if you will, amongst Vietnamese Americans. And so in certain ways, it's interesting to think that the lingua
1: franca or like the shared language will be around in food. Food truly does transcend language, doesn't it? Speaking of language, thank you for sticking with us through all of our rambling. Um, this is our second episode and uh, we're hoping to come back for more. So it's been great to have you. I'm Annabelle. I'm V. And this has been Me Cup Vee. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.